Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. <clears throat> Paul goes on and he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and a better translation of that word members would be parts, and the parts don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, if you remember last time we were together, Paul has just said that if we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, which is our worship of God, then we will know what God's will is for each of us. That's where we left off at the end of Romans 12, 1 and 2. You'll offer your body's living sacrifice, which is your service, your worship of God. Then you'll know his will. And immediately after saying know your, his will, he starts going into spiritual gifts and different roles that we've been giving in the body of Christ. He starts saying that to talk, he, he uses that knowing God's will to start talking about our different roles and ministries. Remember, last week we met together and we saw that we received his mercy for a reason. Paul said, I received mercy for this reason. And then he shared how he'd been called to preach to the Gentiles and so on. There are good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. And that's where we ended up last time. Remember Ephesians 2, verse 10, for we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared, listen closely, in advance for us to do. What I want to do real quick is I want to kind of pull out a couple of things about the fact that God has given us uh, gifts and roles. And we're going to dive into that in a lot of detail tonight. But there's a couple aspects of it that I want to point out before we really get into it from the scriptures here tonight. So go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Paul is writing to Titus and he's encouraging Titus to, uh, to challenge the folks that are under his care to do good works. But he also makes sure that they understand that we weren't saved by good works, but good works should be our focus after salvation. If Titus chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 8. Paul tells Titus, remind them, the people under your care, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? To good works. Well, these things are excellent and profitable for people. All right. Now, listen closely to what he said here. He said, we have not been saved by good works, but by the grace of God. But I want you to insist on teaching the believers that after they've been saved, not by their works, but by grace, that they devote themselves toward good works. 
that actually we should be focusing on the good works, careful, that have been prepared in advance for us to do. Don't just focus on doing good works. There's good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And as you're going to see, God didn't just save you so that you can go to heaven. God saved you for a reason. And he's going to use your past life experiences, the shaping he's had you go through, the things that you've experienced. He's going to be using your life to use in, in the gifts he's given you in the role that he has for each of us. And that's very important. So we should never think that, boy, if I work for Jesus, that's going to count for to getting to heaven. No, you're saved by grace alone, by faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. Yet we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. And so you see the, you see the balance here. Don't think you're saved by good works. It's salvation's a gift of God. Now, though, that you've been saved, he's prepared in advance good works that he wants to accomplish through you. Now, part of the problem we've run into over the years is we've allowed other people and the church and, 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 and just misunderstanding to kind of shape where we end up working or where we go. Let me just say this to you real quick as we start getting into the different roles in a little bit here tonight. Every church that I've been a pastor of, we got rid of the nominating committee. You know why? The nominating committee's role was to just fill all the spots. They would get together and take the church directory and call everybody and say, would you do this? Would you do that? Would you fill in here? Would you fill in there? And a lot of people felt guilty if they said no or ashamed if they said no. And the church was full of people doing stuff that someone told them to do, but they weren't doing the works that God had called them to do or gifted to do. And we're going to get into a lot of that tonight. And you may find tonight refreshing for you because there might be some things you're doing right now that you know this isn't what God's gifted me to do. I don't have his power in it. I don't enjoy it. I'm going to burn out. We'll talk about burnout later tonight. But I want you to first of all understand the scriptural foundation here. God not only saved you, not of your good works, by his, but by his grace, but he saved you for good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. Now, before we go any further, do you want to know how far in advance he prepared those good works for you? The Bible says before you were born. Go to Galatians chapter 1. This may help us understand the importance of yielding to the rest of God's plan in saving us. Galatians chapter 1, look at verses 11 through 17. Paul's sharing his personal testimony. In Galatians 1, verses 11 through 17, Paul says, For I'd have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. And so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart went before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He set me apart before I was born that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So God saved Paul later in his life. But when had God set Paul apart to be a preacher to the Gentiles? Before he was born. So are you telling me that God not only saved Paul, 
God had already planned before Paul was born why God was going to save Paul and how he was going to use him. Isn't that what the scripture says? Go with me to Acts chapter 9. Let's hear it from Jesus' own words, from Jesus' own mouth. In Acts chapter 9, let's go to the account of Jesus saving Paul and Paul coming to faith when he meets him on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, look at verses 10 through 15. Jesus now comes and speaks to a man named Ananias. In, in verse 10, chapter 9 of Acts, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hand, his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Did you catch that? Jesus said, look, yeah, I know who he is. I know what he's done. I know about his past life. I'm going to use all that. But not only that, he's my chosen instrument to go bring the gospel to who? To the Gentiles, but no more than just that, to the kings, the leadership of all the Gentiles, and who? And Israel as well. Remember how we saw earlier in our study of Romans that Paul had a heart for the Jews? And he wanted to go preach to the Jews. And God says, I got no problem with using you to preach to the Jews, but I'm going to use you through the Gentiles to reach the Jews. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles and their kings and their rulers. And as Paul came to realize later in his life, he goes, I'm going to just magnify the ministry God has for me by preaching to the Gentiles. Because he said that preaching through the Gentiles is going to cause the Gentiles to get saved. And the Gentiles getting saved is going to make Israel jealous. And I'm going to be able to be used to God to get to the Jews by preaching to the Gentiles. Do you see what I'm saying? Paul had to come to realize, okay, Lord, you saved me. And I want to go preach to the Jews. God says, I'm going to use you to preach to the Jews. But you go to the Gentiles and that's how I'm going to use you to get to the Jews. Paul tried to go into Asia, remember? But the Spirit wouldn't let him. But he ends up in Macedonia, and the first convert in Macedonia is a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, which was in Asia. In other words, follow me, Paul. I'm going to use you. I, I know you want to go into Asia, but I'm in charge of this. Walk with me. I'm going to actually have you end up in Macedonia, and the first convert's going to be an influential woman who's from Asia, and I'm going to use her and many others. So the danger of us trying to just set out and go and do good works, you're going to miss some things. If you try to go do good works and go to work for Jesus, no, you need to find out what are the works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. He's going to, and we're going to talk about all this in a lot more detail, but I've got to show you some more. Go to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah 1, look at verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, this is Jeremiah speaking, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. 
But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, when Jeremiah was called by God, God says, I'm going to use you to preach to the nations. But when did God tell Jeremiah he had planned for Jeremiah to preach to the nations? Before he was born. Before you were, before you were formed in the womb. I had already planned to have you preach, listen closely, to the nations. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet in Israel, correct? Mainly Judah. Did the, did the Jews listen to Jeremiah? By the way, have you ever done a study of Ezekiel and Jeremiah? And you'll find out that even though Jeremiah was preaching in Israel, or mainly in Judah, the people in Babylon knew what Jeremiah had said, and they believed what Jeremiah had said from God more than the Jews did. And when he actually was, when this, uh, the city was ransacked, the, the leader of the Babylonians said, hey, let Jeremiah come with us if he wants to, or stay there, whatever he wants to do. That guy's a man of God. His words are truth. Isn't that wild? He was preaching to the Jews. Who was listening? The nations. Oh, by the way, that had to be easier for Jeremiah to understand when God had said, I'm going to use you to preach to the nations. Well, Lord, I'm preaching to the people around me and they ain't listening. Just keep doing what I told you to do. I already told you I'm going to use you in the kingdoms, not just. And so again, knowing that he had been set apart before he was born and knowing that God had a plan that was bigger than what he could see, he could, it was easier to be faithful to what God called him to because he's trusting in God to accomplish what he had in mind. Do you see the importance of knowing what it is that God's wired you to do and knowing how he's, he's gifted you? And we're going to get into that more later on. But I love the fact, though, that Jeremiah said, oh, I'm not a good talker. A lot of people don't realize this about me. But when I graduated high school, I graduated fourth in my class. Now, my parents were excited. But they didn't know was two weeks before graduation, I was second in my class. And they came to me and said, you are in the top two in your graduating class. You and the valedictorian are going to give a speech at graduation. <laughs> no, I'm not. They said, no, you are. The valedictorian gives a speech and the salutatorian gives a speech. And you're the salutatorian. You know what I did in the last two weeks of school? I bombed my tests on purpose to lower my GPA so that I ended up fourth. Mom and dad were like, good for you, you're fourth. And I never told them. <laughs> but I wasn't going to stand in front of people and preach or talk. But you know, once I came to realize what God's call on my life was and my gifting is, I love it. There's nothing I'd rather do. My wife will tell you, if I could do this for the rest of my life for 24 hours a day, I'd do it. I'd do it. It's called a filibuster. I don't want a filibuster. I want to get somewhere. I don't want to stall stuff. I want to get somewhere. Go to Luke 1. Go to Luke 1. Look at verses 13 through 17. An angel is speaking now to Zechariah. 
He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you'll have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he's going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he'll go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. God had a plan for John the Baptist before John the Baptist was even born. Oh, by the way, don't you think Zechariah and Elizabeth had a plan for the kid if they ever had one? I mean, they had been wanting a child and wanting a child and wanting a child. And I can promise you, they also had in mind all that that child was going to be and do. But one of the things that my wife and I have to remember with our three children is this. We, at one point when they were little in a church service, gave them to the Lord. We dedicated them to the Lord. And we have to remind ourselves, we want to see our kids do this and that and end up being this and that. And God says, no, I gave them to you. I made them in the womb. I have a plan for them. And we have to let the Lord do with them what he wants. Years ago, when I was a pastor in Chicago, uh, this one wonderful family in the church, their oldest daughter became a missionary and moved to Africa and lived in a very, very hard part of Africa, even to the point that at one point her husband was shot and uh, their grandchild was kidnapped. And we had to deal with all that over here in America while that was going on in Africa. And as the mother came to my office freaking out about the fact that her daughter was going to go to Africa, I had to remind her, did you give her to the Lord? And she said, I did, didn't I? I said, you've taken her back. Give her back. He's, she's his. And he's got a purpose for her life. And by the way, the husband lived and child survived. And, but it's been an interesting journey in their life. Now, some of you are saying, okay, Jim, you've just shown us how Paul the Apostle, Jeremiah the Prophet, John the Baptist were all set apart before they were born. I can see preachers, possibly apostles and prophets for sure, being set apart before they were born. But I wouldn't be. I mean, I'm, I just work with my hands. I don't, I don't do that stuff. Go to Exodus chapter 31. Now, as you're going to Exodus 31, let me kind of set the stage for you. You know how while they're in the wilderness, God's giving Moses the instructions for the building of the tabernacle. And he's very specific on how long and how tall and everything. Listen to what he says in chapter 31, verses 1 through 11. It says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, and I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that's on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. 
and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Did you catch that? God said, look, I got this tabernacle that I want you to build. And in time, you're going to realize it's a copy of the holy holies in the true temple in heaven. And I already have picked out who's supposed to build all the articles of gold and silver and cloth. And I've gifted them with the ability to do it. Go to Exodus 36. You get a little bit more information. Bezalel and Aholiab. Those guys sound familiar? Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman, listen, in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work. Not only had God gifted them to do this, he put it in their heart that that's what they're supposed to do. He stirred up their heart like, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. Remember, wasn't it stirred up in Paul's heart to preach to the Jews? But as you're going to see, and as we've touched on, he had to use his gifts with sober judgment. We'll get to that in just a second. Because we have a tendency to try to run ahead of God and say, this is what I'm wired to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to go do it. And God says, whoa, 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 slow the roll. I have in mind not only what you're to do, but when you're to do it and how you're to do it. And I've designed these gifts that I've given you for you to walk with me and be led by me and let me put you to use when I have in mind. Don't go running off. But he stirred their hearts. So first off, we've just seen in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 that if we are willing to, because of his mercy, because of his salvation, just say, Lord, my life is yours. What do you want me to do? How would you use me? You will know his will. He will reveal to you his will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. But go back to Romans 12. Look at again at verse 3. It's very important how Paul words this as he moves right into the gifts and the roles that we've been given. He says something very important. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We're going to deal with that, the measure of faith God has assigned in a second. But don't miss what Paul said. He said, because of the role that God's given me and the gift that he's given me and the position I've been given, I'm in a position of authority. I'm going to say to everyone with authority, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You're going to be all excited about what your gift is and what your role is. And I know the problem that's going to happen to all of us. You're going to get so excited about your gift. You're going to get so excited about your role. You're going to try to go do it. Slow down. Think about it with sober judgment. Because as Paul's going to lay out for us, you need to exercise the gifts that God reveals to you in proportion to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We'll get to that in just a second. Go back with me to Genesis 37. Let me show you one of the things that happens to all of us when we start getting excited about being used by God in whatever gift or ministry we've been given. Genesis 37, look at verses 5 through 11. Genesis 37, starting in verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. 
And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and he said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and to bow ourselves on the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. When Joseph started to get a picture of what God's plan was for Joseph, what did Joseph do? He went and told his brothers, hey guys, y'all are going to bow down to me. Was it time? No. If you do a study of the scriptures, you'll realize they don't actually bow down to him until 20 years later. He's got 20 years between when God started to stir his heart and when it actually happened. He made the mistake of thinking it was going to happen soon, and he ran with it. Because of that, and God knowing full well who he was, he ended up being sold into slavery. God prospered him wherever he was, but God had to shape him through this time. He wasn't ready for what God had put in his heart and gifted him to do. It wasn't time and he wasn't ready. That's why Paul says, Christians, don't just say, God, thank you, I'm saved. Say, Lord, you saved me for a reason. You've given me mercy for a reason. There's a role you have for me. I want to devote myself to good works, but these are good works that you've prepared in advance for me to do. What are they? And when he starts to show you what that is, Paul says, take a deep breath. Don't go make it happen because that's only part of the picture. You understand what I'm saying? I actually personally, this is Jim Johnson speaking. I think I'm right. But I will share with you, I think I'm right. When Joseph was in the prison and he interpreted the dream for those guys, he turned to the cupbearer who's going to get his job back and he says, remember me to the king. Here's my business card. Put in a good word for me. And I think personally he signed himself up for two more years because he wasn't ready yet. He was still trying to make it happen instead of waiting on God. Because if you go with the rest of the story, the guy that has the dream interpreted and it comes to fruition, he goes back and he doesn't even remember. It's two years later that the king has a dream and the guy goes, I totally forgot. Now, be honest with me. If you were sitting in a dungeon, you had this dream and a guy interpreted it to the nth detail. It happened three days later. Do you think you'd forget? No, probably not. I think God erased that guy's brain because Joseph's still trying to make it happen. He's still passing out his business card. He's still trying to make it happen and help God out. I'm going to say to you folks, listen to me. If God has got a gift for you that he's planned for before you're born or gifts and a role that he has for you in ways that he's prepared before you were even born that he wants to use you. Man cannot shut a door that God opens. Oh, man can also not open a door that God's shut. I had to learn this myself. When God called me to preach and I finally surrendered to it, he called me when I was 13. I ran until I was 19. But when I finally surrendered to God's call to preach, I could tell you back then what God had put in my heart. He had put in my heart a passion to travel and speak to the church in America to get them woke up. That's what I wanted to do. 
and my wife and I were newlyweds, and I dragged her all over the country in the southeast trying to make it happen. I used to do Christian comedy. I was a Christian comedian, and I would speak to youth groups all over the southeast. Don't, don't think that it was a big deal because I didn't have a lot of gigs, but I was out there trying to get my name out and trying to get places, and it all fell flat because I knew what God had put on my heart, and I tried to make it happen right away. Let me say this to you. As you seek what God's role is for you, because you should be devoting yourself to the good works that God's preparing in advance you to do, do it with sober judgment. Do it with sober judgment. Now listen to the rest of it. And use it in proportion to the, 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 the way that he's gifted you. In other words, go back to what he says in Romans. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We're going to spend a little bit of time in this tonight. What does it mean, the measure of faith that God has assigned? It's very important that we understand this because when you grasp this, it'll really help you. And honestly, some of you have been in Christian service for a long time. Some of the things that have baffled you over the years are probably going to make a little more sense tonight. All right. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's a measure of faith for each of us that God has assigned. So before we explain the measure of faith, let me ask you this question. Who has assigned whatever measure of faith you've been given? God. Who has assigned what role you've been given? God. So that's the first part. God has assigned it. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. Listen to verses 4 through 11. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties or different types of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties or different types of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And now to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Let me stop there real quick. Whatever gifting God's given you and whatever role he's given you is for the common good of the body. I'm not going to spend any more time on this except to say this. If you say, well, I have this gift and it's between me and the Lord, it's not a spiritual gift. Gift. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you say this is just between me and the Lord, this is something that we do, it's not a spiritual gift. Because spiritual gifts have been given for the common good. Don't have time to chase that one any more than that, but let the Spirit of God take it from there. Keep reading. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and that's languages, to another the interpretation of those languages. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, we're not going to take the time to break down all the different gifts. That's not what we're here for. What I want you to see is this. In the body of Christ, all of us have been given different gifts. They're not all the same. There's a variety of gifts, same spirit. All right? Keep reading now in verses 12 through 20. For just as the body is one and has many parts... And all the parts of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all to made, made to drink of one spirit. For the body doesn't consist of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the, be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the parts in the body, each one of them, listen, as he chose. If all were a single part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. All right. So who assigned the, the, the gifts and the roles? God did. He also has put us in the body for the common good. And we all should be happy with whatever role he's given us. And don't think that your role isn't as important as others. I'm going to, at the end of our message today, get back to chapter 12, where Paul says, desire the higher gifts. And I'm going to show you how I think that our Bibles have actually mistranslated what was written in the Greek there. Because if he says at the end of all this, desire the greater gifts... It would contradict everything he's just said in all of chapter 12. Would you not agree? We'll come back to that at the end. All right. So God has assigned the measure of faith that each of us have been given. So what does it mean, though, the measure of faith? Well, go back to first Romans chapter 12. Look again at verses three and following. We see there in verse three, he says, at the last part of it, to think of a sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. All right. We have many parts that all have the same function. So the, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually parts one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Listen closely. Here's how he explains the proportion to our faith and the measure of faith. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, let's stop there. This will help us. He's already said that God has not only assigned what our roles are, he's assigned the measure of faith that he's given us with each of those roles. So if our gift is prophecy or preaching, we need to use that gift in proportion to the measure of faith that we've been given. In other words, you might have two people that are both gifted to preach, but one is gifted to speak in front of thousands of people at a time and everybody feels like they've connected with that guy. Another person could be gifted and called to preach could not work that same room, correct? Have you not over the years seen guys who are gifted in preaching and they could preach to big crowds, yet that another guy couldn't do that? That's not what their gifting is. Yet we unfortunately over the years in our churches will have someone that's gifted to preach or to teach. And we just assume they're going to one day work their way up the ladder and become senior pastor. We'll have associates that are gifted associates who were supposed to be working in proportion to their faith. And we say, when are you going to get off your lazy rear end and become a, a lead pastor? And a lot of pastors don't look at themselves in sober judgment. They don't look at the measure of faith that God has assigned. They like having their name on the side of the bus and they want to become senior pastor. And if you've been in those churches, those guys who really were pretty good as an associate, all of a sudden become the lead pastor and it doesn't work. Because they're not prophesying in proportion to their faith. Years ago, and, and this man's now with Jesus, he died of cancer. A really good friend of mine named Barry, who was a pastor of a church in, in uh, the west coast of Florida. 
And then he moved from there to another. He actually was an associate pastor at a church in Florida. I went and preached at that church. He heard about my ministry that way. We became friends. Well, he became senior pastor of another church years later on the west coast of Florida. And he would have me come and preach once a year and do revivals. And I'm telling you the truth. Barry is one of the most spiritual, godly men I've ever met. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a preacher. That church struggled because his preaching on Sunday morning, they loved him, but they were struggling. But one, one week when I was there for a revival, he was teaching a class to new believers before the revival services that night. And I snuck in that little classroom of about five or six people. These are people that didn't even know who God was, who Jesus was. And they, they're just learning. And I sat there and my jaw hit the floor. I had never seen such gifting. He was so gifted with people that just didn't know anything. And he could make it on a level that they understood it. And I watched them sitting there sucking it in. And I sat there and thought, I couldn't do what he's doing. I would kill these people. I was sharing too many passages of scripture and they wouldn't have been ready for it. They weren't, as Paul said, I want to give you meat, but you're not ready for it. Barry was gifted at feeding people milk. And I thought, boy, if only he would just stay here. You see what I'm saying? So you got to be in sober judgment. Don't try to become the best in the be all. What is it that God's gifted you to do? There's a pressure in this world to be the best at it. I say be the best at it at whatever level God's got for you to be and be happy there. You know, in the parable of the talents, one was given five talents. Another was only given two, another one. The one that had been given the five talents by God's grace, it turned into ten. Listen to what God says to him. God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little. Now enter. In, you'll be given much. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had been given the two when it turned into four heard this. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little. Now you'll be given much. Enter into the joy of your master. Word for word, they both got the same commendation. Why? Well, one had 10 results. The other one only had four. Yeah, but they each worked according to their ability. They used it in proportion to the faith they had been given. They understood the role that they had been assigned. They worked in sober judgment in accordance to what God had in mind. And they were happy and God was pleased. When you start jockeying for position, you're not ready yet. When you think, oh, if we do this, I can go bigger. If we do this, we can make, as you've heard me say, I actually will go the opposite way. I'm going to fight anything that looks like man's trying to help God because I want God to get all the glory for what he does in our ministry. But there's another level to this as well. There's more to this in proportion to our faith than just some are preached, gifted to preach to thousand and others to smaller groups. Go back to Romans 12 again. Listen to what he says here in verse um, 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith, if it's service in our serving, 
the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And what he's saying here is, if your gift is teaching, you need to use the faith that God's given you in your teaching. If you're serving, you need to use the faith that God has given you in your serving. If your gift is contributing or generosity, you need to use the faith that God has given you in your giving. Let me explain to you what I mean. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. You could be doing what God has called you to do. You could even be doing what God has gifted you to do, but you could be doing it in your own strength and not by faith. And God's power won't be in it. Listen to 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Did you catch that? God's grace is varied. Some have more, some have less. That's okay. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whatever it is you're doing, you need to be doing it by faith that God is going to use it, that God is going to do what he wants through it, and you leave the results to God because it's not you doing it, it's the Lord that's doing it by faith. Do you understand? But I've been pastor of churches for many years and I've dealt with too many people that are upset because they worked hard and nobody recognized them. Were they doing it by faith or were they doing it for man's applause? You see, if you're doing it by faith, you don't care if anybody notices because you're just doing what God's gifted you to do. And Lord, I'm doing it as a service to you. And your word says that whatever I do, I do it as unto you. And if nobody here on this earth notices, I'm trusting you to make it work. That's doing it by faith. Y'all ever heard the term burnout? Let me ask you a question. According to the scriptures, does the Holy Spirit ever run out? Now, hasn't he promised rivers of living water? We'd never thirst again. So how can we burn out? Well, there's a couple of options. One is we're doing something God never called us to do. And if he's not called you to do it, he's not going to empower you to do it. And you're going to do it in your own strength. And guess what? It's going to wear you out because you're going to try to do something you weren't gifted or called to do. Secondly, some of us are doing what God's gifted and called us to do. But we're doing it in our strength and not his. And over the years, and James, you know what I'm talking about. So that have been called to preach. We've had to learn the difference between using our gifts by faith or doing it in our own strength. And let me tell you. The more I learn to rest in the Lord, the more I see him do and the more relaxed I am because I'm not worried about how good I do anymore. It sounds crazy, but I'm really not worried about how good I do anymore because I'm learning to let the Lord do it. That doesn't mean I don't pray. That means I don't prepare. That doesn't mean I don't seek the Lord. But I'm not going to sit down afterwards and say, I should have said this and I maybe should have said that. No, Lord. I walk into these teaching times trusting I've got my notes, I've done my prayer, I've done my study, but as I go, I'm going to let you just take over. Let me also say something to you. How many of you have ever heard this one? 80% of the people are doing 20% of the work. You ever heard that one? Everybody should be pulling their equal weight. You ever heard that one? That's teaching the church to work in their own strength 
not in the grace that God has given. Remember, some are given five talents, some are two, some are one, each according to their ability. Actually, scripturally, you're going to see there are those that God actually intends to do more than others, and that's okay. Now, if there are those that are doing more than others and they're complaining about it because I'm doing all the work, you're not doing it in proportion to the faith you've been given. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you here, and I, don't raise your hand unless you can stand up and on the microphone say the answer. How many of you could stand up right now and list all 12 apostles? Good. I probably struggle with it myself because a couple of them flip names a couple of times. But you, I bet you if I asked you to name three, you probably could. Could you not? You would say Peter, James, and John. And then you might say Luke and Matthew. But you would say Peter, James, and John. Would you not? You know why we don't know the rest of the guys as well? As far as we can tell, their roles weren't as big as Peter, James, and John were in the years to come. And have you ever noticed that when Jesus went teaching the masses, but sometimes teaching just the 12, sometimes he only brought Peter, James, and John. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when he was glorified, the rest of the guys, apostles, weren't allowed to see it. And Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, you can't tell anybody what you saw until after I risen from the dead. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he kicks everybody out of the house except mom and dad. Peter, James, and John are allowed to stay. It, he kicked the rest of the apostles out. And only those three were allowed to see Jairus' daughter being healed. When he prays in the garden and he goes further, he's there with not just the 12, but many. Who were the only three that got to go a little further with Jesus alone? Peter, James, and John. Well, that's not fair. Well, let's go back and start the lesson over again. <laughs> he assigns the roles. He assigns the measure of faith. And we're to be using our gifts in concordance. Folks, let me tell you, you'll be happier if you find out what it is that God has for you to do. And just do it by faith. And you'll find Christianity is a blast. And you'll also find God using you a whole lot more. But we've been taught man's way of looking at it, and we don't know what it means to do things by faith or in proportion to the faith that we've been given. Go to Colossians 1. Look at verses 28 and 29. Paul said this. He says, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil... Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. We go at what it is he's called us to do, but we don't do it in our strength. We're not lazy about, well, I'm just going to rest in the Lord. No, no, no. We go at it, what he's called us to do. The Bible says to do it with your might. But how do we do that with our might? We rest in him. He's going to make it work. He's going to make it work. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. How many of you really believe that? How many of you really believe that he's going to establish you in every good work and word? It's not up to you to make it work. 
It's not up to you to have. You just find out what it is that he'll show you that he's prepared in advance for you to do and how you fit into the body and how you can minister to the body and trust that he's going to make it work. Many of us will say, well, I know what it is that God wants me to do, but those people in that church won't let me do it. And you got to go back and reassign, remind yourself of the fact that, remember, he's the one that's gifted me. He's the one that set me apart for this. And if I'm to do it, he's going to open the door. And if it's not time, it's not time. If it's not here, that's okay. Don't go try to force the door open. Now, let me just chase something real quick. Many of us, when we start trying to figure out what our role is and what our gifting is, our churches will give you a spiritual gift test. I hate them. Just going to tell you straight up. Because I don't see it in the scriptures. And actually, I've taken enough of these spiritual gift tests. I know what they're looking for, and I can answer it however I want and make what I want to be. But you know what? I didn't find out that God had called me to preach and to teach because I took a spiritual gift test. Do you know how I found out that I was called and gifted by God to preach and teach? Listen closely. Not only was he, he, he stirring it up in my heart, it's something more than that. It was also recognized by the body as I got involved in the life of the body. You want to find out what your gift is? Remember, why did God give you whatever gift he's given you? It's for the common good. You will not find out what it is if you just sit off by yourself because you're only going to see it become evident as you get involved in the life of the church, get plugged in in your church, go to small groups, go to Sunday school, go to Bible studies, go to worship services, go to fellowship times, get plugged in with the body. And then as you're spending time with the body, he will stir up within you things that you'll start to recognize are needs. And you'll all of a sudden go, I could meet that. And I could do that. And not only that, you'll do it and people will go, you're actually kind of good at that. And it'll become evident to you as you get involved in the life of the body because he's gifted you to be a part of the body and it's for the common good. Don't sit around waiting until God tells you what it is. Go get plugged in. And I actually think it's okay to try something or two and then realize that ain't it. And trust me, there's lots of people that will say, we agree with you. That ain't it. But don't get discouraged because as we've already seen tonight, he will show you. He'll stir your heart and it will become evident to you and the body. Now, there's one last aspect in the time we have left tonight that I want to bring out about this. And I want you to listen to me very carefully because this is extremely important and it's going to tie back to where we were earlier. Just because you have a gift and are using it doesn't necessarily mean that you're walking in close fellowship with God. Listen to me again. Just because you have a gift, you're saved and you have a gift and you're using it, doesn't mean that you're walking in close fellowship with God. Have we not over the years seen leaders in the church who we were just blown away by the gifting that they had, only to find out later on they were living a double life? Go back to 1 Corinthians 12. You can get so resting in your gift, you stop walking with Jesus. In verse 31, 
It says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I'll show you a still more excellent way. And for years we've had that read to us as you're to desire what the best gifts are, the greater gifts. That would contradict everything else that Paul has said in chapter 12. How God assigns the gifts, you don't. God's the one who puts us where he wants, and some are more important than others. Some have greater honor and some less honor, but don't worry about that. Be happy with whatever it is that God's got for you to do. I think if you look at the Greek, and I was listening to John MacArthur teach on this recently as well, earnestly desire the higher gifts actually could be translated because of how it's worded in the Greek, and, and not just John MacArthur, but other theologians have brought this out. It could actually be Paul saying, but y'all are desiring the, higher, desiring the greater gifts. Let me show you the most excellent way. And then he goes right into chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And remember, there were no chapters. In the middle of Paul's letter, he goes right on and says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver my body to be up to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, as for prophecies, as impressive as they may look to you in this life, they're going to pass away. As for tongues or languages, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it's going to pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. In other words, if you're so excited about your gift that all of a sudden you take your eyes off of Jesus and you start treating your brothers and sisters poorly in, the whole, in your pursuit of the gift that God's given you to do, and you start judging your brother, you start looking down. We saw earlier in our scriptures how he said, don't even speak evil of anyone. Just because you have a gift and are using it doesn't mean you're walking with Jesus. So what we're going to do is I want to read to you real quick. We're going to go to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. We're actually going to start in 2 Timothy. We've got four minutes and we can do it. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, listen to verses 1 through 7. Paul's writing to Timothy in these two letters. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is what Paul says. He said, I know of your faith. Oh, and by the way, I know that it actually, the faith that you have came from your mom and your grandma. And by the way, 
Don't you think they were using their gifts that they had been given in a portion of the measure of faith that God had assigned them? Wouldn't you love to be the mom or the grandmom of Timothy? Wouldn't that have been cool? Would you have been okay to only be the grandmom or the mom of Timothy? What if that's what God has for you to be? Zechariah and Elizabeth served the Lord, and God's going to reward them for many years of service to him. But what they've been praying for all their life was this baby that they wanted. And God says, actually, I'm going to give you the baby you want, but he's actually the baby I want. And if you remember, they didn't have him very long. <laughs> he went off into the wilderness and spent most of his life, and he ended up getting killed because of Jesus. Are you willing to just say, Lord, I offer my body as a living sacrifice. Use me however you will. And God says, I will, and I'll show you. I'm going to stir your heart. It's going to be used to build up the body. Oh, listen closely, though. But even though you have the gift, you've got to fan it into flame. You need to pursue it, but do it with sober judgment. Don't just sit around waiting. Pursue it. Fan it into flame, but do it in proportion to your faith. But now go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at verses 11 through 16, and then 20 through 21, and we'll wrap up with this. 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 16, and then 20 and 21. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take a hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light and whom no, whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor, eternal dominion. Amen. Look at what he says. He says, You've been called to this role. You've been gifted by God. And I want you to guard this. And keep your eyes on Jesus. And I charge you. I charge you to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Go down to verses 20 and 21. O Timothy, he says it again, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradiction of what is falsely called knowledge. For by, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. As we close tonight, let me just say this. The problem in the church in Corinth was everybody was more interested in their spiritual gift than they were anybody else. And one of the things that is happening to the church in these last days is everybody's getting so caught up on doctrine and theology, and we should be, but we're doing it inappropriately. We're attacking each other. We're setting up lines of division. Are you Calvinist or you Arminian? Are you pre-trib or post-trib? We could go into all this stuff and we need to know what we believe and we need to believe it and we need to make sure it's aligned with the scripture and aligned with the spirit showing us, but be careful. The moment you start believing something so strongly, everybody else has to believe it too. You start to become the Lord of everyone's life. And all of a sudden, you're no longer interested in the common good. You're interested in what God has put on your heart. Do you see the danger? You could be using the gift that God's given you and do damage to the body instead of building the body up. 
I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.